All right. All right. Here we go. Oh, that's good. Here we go. All right, guys, let's, we're going to continue our series uh, this morning, the book of Genesis uh, called Every Story Whispers His Name. If you haven't been with us, I'm going to catch you up in 20 seconds. We've been walking through the book of Genesis. We've looked at the creation account. We've looked at how the world messed up in the fall. We've looked at the flood. And then we looked at uh, the Tower of Babel. And then we've been in Abraham's life. And this is part three of Abraham. He's this big hero giant of the faith. And so he deserves a few weeks. He'll have one more next week. And the thing that we've noticed about Abraham, which maybe you expect, maybe you didn't, was that these heroes and giants of the faith do not have their act together. Right? They, uh, they are not on top of their game. They are not always people to model their, our lives after. And so in Abraham's life, you see him do well and mess up, do well and mess up, do well and mess up. And so what we've seen though in that every one of these stories, that they all are echoing and pointing to us and whispering the name of Jesus because they all point to his coming. And so we're continuing that in part three of Abraham. Genesis chapter 18 is where we will camp out today. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. One of my favorite movies growing up uh, was Forrest Gump. Anybody like Forrest Gump? Anybody like Forrest Gump? Okay. All right. Uh, favorite Forrest Gump line? Go. I heard every one of those. Thank you. I got them all. I got every one of them. Thank you. So, so in Forrest Gump, there is this, there's all these quotable lines for Forrest Gump, right? But there's this one scene that, as I was preparing this, that really stood out, stood out to me. And it's that scene where Forrest is still this little kid. And, and remember, he, he's got, I don't know, some kind of mental disability. And he's got braces on his legs. And he is getting on the bus to go to school. And he gets up on the bus. Well, first of all, he won't get on the bus, right? Because he looks at the bus driver and he's like, Mama told me never ride with strangers. And she's like, well, my name's Dorothy. And he's like, we're not strangers anymore, right? And so he gets on the bus. And as he begins to walk down the aisle with those leg braces on, Every time he goes to find a seat or sit down, the person scoots over or puts their hand over and he said, seat's taken. And he walks down a little more and the girl just looks at him and goes, seat's taken. And over and over again, he hears that real Georgia country twang say, seat's taken. You don't belong here. Don't sit here with me. And so the bus is driving, and here he is standing in the middle of the bus aisle, headed to school, just standing there, not really knowing what to do. And as he, because he's narrating the story, right? He's telling this woman on the bench, right? It's like a flashback, and he tells the story, and he says, in that moment, he heard the voice of an angel. He said he heard the sweetest voice he had ever heard that said, You can sit here if you want to was Jenny telling him that he could, he could sit there. As you and I watch that movie, we are often filled with compassion for Forrest and we root for him. And every time we see him face these trials and people pick on him, people be mean to him and it angers us. My question this morning is this, will we be those who look down on others and say, you're not welcomed here? Seats taken, or will we be like Jenny who sees past the flaws and says, You're welcomed here? 
Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 16, the words of our God say this. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them and set them on their own way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised to him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether uh, they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are there He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham And Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. You don't have to grow up in church to recognize those places we just read about. You don't have to grow up in church to know those places, Sodom and Gomorrah. They have been inducted really into our culture as shorthand for wicked, vile, awful people. This was a place, if you don't know, known for its sensuality known for its sexual immorality, known for horrible uh, uh, sexual crimes of orgies and gang rape and homosexuality. There was nothing off the table sexually for these people. It is not wrong to say that this was a wicked and awful sinful place. The first time I'd ever heard someone talk about this place was when I was sitting in my grandpa's tire shop and all the old men were there reading newspapers and talking. And I remember one of them saying, quoting someone else, I don't know if the quote was right or not, so I won't attribute it, but he was quoting someone and he said, if God allows America to continue the way that she is, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a lot wrong with that sentence, but, but notice the disdain 
for this place, Sodom and Gomorrah. Every preacher I've heard talk about it preaches about the evils of Sodom and Gomorrah. I've heard them warn their churches, we better flee sexual immorality lest we become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was this evil place that has so often been used as a club to beat others down in their moral failings. Whenever we speak of Sodom and Gomorrah, it seems it is always in vile disgust. We seem to never speak of it with tears of compassion in our eyes. So this is the question we're seeking to answer this morning. How should we as followers of Jesus treat the modern day Sodoms and Gomorrahs of our lives? By that, I mean this. How should we treat people who are unbelieving, living in obvious sin and rebellion against God? How should we as the church, as Christians, treat people in whom, who, who view the world different than us, who view sin different than us, who we view as them being in the wrong and morally despicable? Whatever sin and whatever problem, however different or however broken people may be, how should we treat them? Before we go much further, though, I want to be really, really clear about something. Because there is this growing movement in particularly Western churches, American churches, where we want to water down the gospel. Right? We want to water down the message because we want, we want our churches to grow, right? We, we want people to come to know the Lord. We want our churches to grow. And so what we do, though, is water down the gospel, water down the message because we don't want to offend anybody. So let's just not really talk about sin, because that makes people upset. We don't want to just call them out. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to upset them and offend them and cause them not to come back. So we don't talk about sin. But guys, we, we cannot water down the message because when we water down the message, we remove the very thing that actually saves people. We can't water down sin. We can't make excuses for sin. And we can't do what's popular right now, try to reinterpret the Bible, re-understand the Bible to remove things that have been traditionally understood as sin to no longer be understood as sin. To say that the Bible is outdated or that that was just cultural in their time, that's not really true anymore. You see, sin is not a matter of my opinion or your opinion. It is the opinion of God written and revealed in the Holy Scriptures to define what is right and wrong. You see, we are all sexually broken like Sodom and Gomorrah. And any sexual thought or act that is against God's clear design in Scripture is sinful. All right, so we got to, that's the baseline. We got to start there. Verse eight, chapter 18, verse 25 says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? This verse has given me a lot of confidence and, and, and comfort this week because let me read it again. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, do what is right? See, no matter what I think should or should not happen, God is always going to do what is right. And I can rest in that. He is going to do what he knows is right and good. So if God is good and, and he is just, then rightly so his judgment is aimed at sin. And God cannot allow sin to go unpunished because to do so would mean that he was actually not good 
and not just. So we're not watering down sin this morning. Sin rightly deserves the judgment of God. All right, so, so that's, that's got to get that out of the way. So in our story this morning, we find Abraham, right? And Abraham is, well, there's three guys in Abraham. Two of the guys are angels, and one of them is God, particularly Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ. Anytime you see God in the Old Testament, visually, it is Jesus, all right? You can't see the Father, only the Son. A little theology for you. And so he's walking with these three guys, and they walk out, and they're looking out over this cliff at Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want to look at this from two angles this morning. The first being Abraham's. Verse 20, God tells Abraham that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is very grave. And that God is going down to bring judgment and wipe them out. So sin deserves the judgment and uh, the righteous judgment of God. But the question that we've got to answer this morning is how do we respond to sinners in our midst? And so we're going to look at Abraham first. So here is Abraham, and he is standing, I I picture it as a cliff. They're standing outside the city, almost looking down over it. And the two angels walk away, and it's him and God. They're looking at this cliff, looking at this city over this cliff. And verse 17 says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? (laughs) Have you ever had someone come up to you or talking to you and say, oh, man, did you hear? Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to tell you. Well, you got to tell me now. You know, have you ever, have ever someone, someone ever done that to you? When they do that, they've pretty much already decided in their mind that they're going to tell you, right? Because if not, you're going to beat it out of them. No, you got to tell me now. You can't, you can't do that. You can't start and stop like that. And that's exactly what God has just done. God has just said, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And he's already decided that he's going to. Why would God do that? Why would God say that? Because he wants to tell Abraham. He wants to tell him about the, as they look out on the city, he wants to tell him about the judgment he's about to bring, but why? You see, God is opening the door for Abraham to persuade God to not destroy the city. He wants the door open. He wants Abraham to come and plead on behalf of the city. So right out of the gate, we see that even though God's goodness would require fire to fall from heaven to wipe out this place because of his justice, God also desires to be merciful. You see, what God is ultimately doing is telling Abraham the decision to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah is up for debate. Convince me not to do it. See, this is the moment. This is the moment Abraham has got to make a decision. And how is Abraham going to respond? How does Abraham think God should deal with these wicked sinners? Verse 23 says, Abraham drew near. And that language is so interesting because it is the language of one approaching the bench. You've seen TV shows about lawyers, right? And when they're in the courtroom and the lawyers are going back and forth and arguing their case before the judge, when it gets real serious and when something doesn't go their way and they want to make one final appeal, what do they say? Your honor, may we approach? And the, honor, the judge gives permission and the lawyers walk to the front and they're in that moment with no one else listening. They have the judge's undivided attention and they speak directly to him. Here's my final appeal, my final case. And they, and they plead it. And when it says that Abraham drew near, that's what's happening. 
He is drawing near to the bench. He is drawing near to God who is the judge. He's got one shot to plead his case. And here's what he says. God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He's saying, God, I know that there are some really bad, messed up people down there, but there's probably some good people too. And are you really going to destroy all of the good people with the bad people? Far be it from you to do that, God. I mean, come on, that's not fair. But notice the next part. This is super important. You've got to remember that Abraham's family is also living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, his, his nephew and, and Lot's extended family, so Abraham's family, is there with him. They're in Sodom. And so it would make sense to think that, oh, Abraham is pleading because he doesn't want his family to get blown up with everybody else. That makes sense, right? You expect that. You expect the next line to be something like this. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Why not allow the righteous to escape? Why not let Lot and his family who, who believe in you escape? Yeah, God, don't take them all out. Let the good ones go. But that's not what he says. Notice what Abraham pleads. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous people in the city. Will you spare the whole city for the sake of 50 righteous? He is saying, God, don't just save my family and don't just save anyone who's righteous there. Will you spare all of them? The righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the bad. Will you spare the whole city? He said, God, don't just save my family, save all of them. What? Why would Abraham say that? Wouldn't he want this wicked, perverse, jacked up people to... to, to get the punishment that they rightly deserve? I mean, these people don't honor God. They're rebellious. They have perverted the gifts of God and done shameless things. Shouldn't Abraham instead be crying out, crucify them. Let them burn. They don't deserve your love. They don't belong here. Seats taken. I mean, because here's the thing. These are not socially acceptable sins, you know, that we just kind of skirt under the rug. They're not just lying about your, you know, your wife actually being your sister. They're not doing that. No, they are doing perverted, despicable sexual sins. Shouldn't they be punished? But maybe that's just the point. You see, maybe Abraham, this man who had seen so many ups and downs in his life, the man who had lied about his wife, saying that she was actually his sister, and literally prostituted off his wife to save his own skin and to profit off of the king. Maybe the guy who had done that, maybe the guy who had doubted God again and again and again, didn't trust God again and again and again, maybe that man, Abraham, knows how deep of a failure he is And he knows how patient God has been with him, how much mercy God has shown him. And maybe only that kind of man could advocate for the patience and mercy of God towards sinners like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he knows he is no better than they. Because he again and again has received that patience and mercy. And so God, give to them what you gave to me. 
You see, only people who know how deeply flawed they are truly can look at others and their flaws and say, God, have mercy on them just as you did me. So let me ask you a question, church. When someone comes into this building, when someone comes into this church who does not look the part of a good Southern Baptist, how do we treat them? Let me make it more pointed. If as you were going through your normal Sunday morning routine and getting your donut, getting your coffee and coming here and join your church in the way that you enjoy it. And while you were here, you noticed a homosexual couple walk in hand in hand. What would you do? How would you look at them? What would you say to them? I fear that our response would be less like Abraham's and more like that of Jonah's. You remember the story of Jonah, right? Jump forward about a thousand years. Where Jonah is called by God to go to this wicked city just like Sodom and Gomorrah. But instead, Jonah runs the other way because he doesn't even want to give them the chance to be preached to, to listen. God says, oh, no, 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 right? He sends, he sends a storm and he goes in the water and the big whale thing comes and gets him and brings him back. And so finally Jonah goes and he half-heartedly preaches to the Ninevites. Do you remember the end of the story? Because he's in the same place as Abraham. He goes outside of the city and he stands up on a hill, looks out over Nineveh, sits down. But unlike Abraham, he sits and awaits its destruction. He makes this little booth for himself and he's like, all right, God, bring the fire. I'm ready for the show. Light them up. You see, do we respond like Abraham or do we respond like Jonah? When sinners of whatever type walk through that door, how do we respond to them? When people look different, when they don't come to church dressed like you think they should come to church dressed, when they don't look like what you think they should look like, when they smell of alcohol from the night before, how do you respond to them? When the homosexual couple walks in here and the way their culture is going, it's happened and will happen again. How will you respond? Will you respond like Abraham and mercy and compassion or will you respond like Jonah and look down your nose in disgust? You see, church, we have two options. We can be a social club for saints or we can be a hospital for sinners, but we cannot be both. You see, we can have a social club where we all come to this place and put on our Sunday best and have our offering envelopes sticking out of our jacket for everybody to see. And we can come here and we can talk about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We can talk about how it's all Sodom and Gomorrah out there and we just got to have a holy huddle in here and keep all, all these heathens out. Or... We can be a hospital for sinners and we can say, come all who, are, all who are weary and heavy laden and here you will find rest. We can hold the line on sin and not compromise on the truth and still be compassionate. Because let me be clear about something. No matter what sin someone is struggling with, whether that be homosexuality or pride, their greatest problem is not their sin but their unwillingness to bow their knees to Jesus as king. But see, we often get it backwards. 
They do not need to be converted away from their homosexuality. They need to be converted from unbelief. Church, let's not be Jonah. Let's not look down our nose in disgust. Let's be like Abraham who knows how flawed and messed up he is. How what of a wretch he is and how desperate he is for grace. Because we are the people who have received grace, who have received love, and we should be the people eager to give it. You look like you need grace, let me give you some. You look like you need love, let me give you some. Someone told me a story this morning, actually, about this woman. I don't remember even what her issue was, but someone was comforting her and afterward gave her a hug and she cried and said, that's the first time someone's even touched me in three months. She was such an outcast. We have two options, church. Which one will we be? Let's keep looking at Abraham. Notice the position Abraham is in. When he stands on that hillside looking down on the city with God at his side, do you know what he's doing? He is literally standing in between them. He has become a priest. He is priesting. He is standing in the gap between this wicked city and between God, appealing to God on behalf of the city pleading their case to God for them. He is priesting for them. And he's already asked God if he would spare the whole city for the sake of 50 righteous people there. And God said, yes. You see, here's what Abraham was thinking. In Abraham's culture, which is different than ours, our culture is very individualistic, right? Don't blame me for something my wife did, all right? Don't blame me for something my children did. Right, we're individualistic. I'm on me, everybody else, don't blame me for their sins. But that wasn't true for Abraham's culture. Do you remember the story of Achan and uh, Joshua? Remember when God tells him to go and take out Jericho and after you do, do not take anything that was theirs. Don't take any gold or silver or clothes, burn it all, get rid of it all. And Achan takes some for himself and the judgment of God comes on Israel and they're like, someone took something, who did it? They catch Achan, and do you know what they do? They kill his whole family because the sins of the father went to his children and his wife and all of their animals. They killed them all. And Abraham is wondering, can it work in reverse? If the sins of the father go to the children, can the righteousness of a few go to the many? Can it work in reverse? That's what Abraham is asking. And so he says, God, if there were 50 righteous people, would you spare all the wicked? God says, yes. And I love what Abraham says next in verse 27 because it's like he realized what he did. He says, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. It's like he, he realized he was talking to the Lord and he was so bold. And he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. But I love that it doesn't stop him because then he goes, well, I mean, God, I mean, what if, we were, what if I was just off by five people? I mean, come on, what if I missed it by five and there's actually 45? Would you, would you still spare it for 45 people, God? And God says, yes. And then it's like Abraham's kind of getting in a rhythm in a little auctioneer kind of style. He's like, well, I mean, what if there was 40, God? If there was 40 people, would you spare it for 40? And God says, yes. Well, well, God, what about 30? I mean, what if there was 30 righteous people? Would you spare them all for 30? God says, yes. Well, God, what about 20? 
And he kind of gets humbled again. God, let me just one more time. Let me ask, what about 20? Would, would you spare it for 20? God says, yes, I'll spare it if there's 20 right just then. Well, let me just say it one more time, God. You said yes for 50 and 40 and 30 and 20. Well, what about 10? If there were 10 people, God, would you spare the whole city for 10? And God says, yes. And then Abraham stops. It's like, why would you stop? You were on a roll, man. Keep that thing going. How about five? How about three? Why does he stop? It is like this building of a song to its climax, to its crescendo. And right before you get there, someone pulls the power cord out and it stops. And you're like, oh. It just falls short. Why didn't he keep going? You see, God goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah and he looks for 10 righteous people and he can't find them. And so he blows up the whole place and he brings judgment down on them. Abraham, why didn't you keep going? 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Why not five? Why not three? And the big obvious question on our minds and on his mind was, would you save it for one? Oh God, would you spare all those wicked people if there was one righteous there? Do you, I know what the answer would be. God would have said, yes. If I find one righteous man, I would spare the whole city. And do you know how I know it would be? Yes, because a few thousand years later, God's aim of his justice would not just be on Sodom and Gomorrah, but it would be on us. On the wicked world. His justice was aimed at us. And do you know what Jesus? Jesus comes and he says, God, would you spare the whole world if there was one righteous man? And he says, yes. And so Jesus says, then let me go. And so Jesus comes to earth to be the one righteous man that God might spare the whole world for the sake of him. You see, every story indeed whispers his name. You see, because like Abraham and like Jonah, Jesus would be taken outside of the city. And like Abraham, he would stand there as our priest between us and God. And Jesus would approach the bench like Abraham and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, the world has only ever seen one righteous man, Jesus of Nazareth. And he came so that God would relent the judgment that we deserve so that God could show us mercy. You see, you guys, we should not be so quick to condemn wickedness that we see in Sodom and Gomorrah because we have more common with them than we might first think. You see, we were spared judgment, not because we were righteous, but because there was one righteous and God spared us for the sake of him. You see, we are Sodom and Gomorrah in this story. And there was one that stood for us. You see, the reason that we cannot be a social club for saints is because all of our halos are bent and crooked. 1 Peter 2.9, pretty popular verse that says, But you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. Did you catch that one phrase? This is talking about you if you're in Christ. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You see, to the extent that you understand how failed you are, how terribly sinful you are and how gracious God has been to you, Like Abraham, you become a priest too. 
You see, because you have received the mercy and compassion of God, now you get to stand in the gap between God and people, God and sinners, and you get to show the same love and compassion that God desires to show them. You get to stand in the gap. And so the next time you come into this church or the the next time that you go into your workplace or the next time someone comes into your life and they don't have your values, they don't look like you, talk like you, sound like you, or value the things you do, how will you respond to them? Will you be their priest? Will you advocate for them? Will you love them? Or will you judge them? Now we've said sin is sin. God who says sin is sin, and we are not saying otherwise. That's not our job. So will you be like Abraham or like Jonah? Will we be a hospital for sinners, or will we be a social club for saints? When the homosexual couple comes in here holding hands with their partner, will you greet them with love and compassion, eager to love them well? Or... Will you be like those mean boys on the bus with Forrest Gump and say, you don't belong here? Church, may that never be us. May we always remember the compassion that God showed us and still shows us today. We need as much today as we did the day we came to faith. And when sinners walk through those doors, let us be like little Jenny with compassion in our hearts and look at them and say, come sit with me. You're welcome here church that's who i want us to be not a social club for saints but a hospital for sinners you belong here if you're broken we need grace and so do you let's pray father we come to you right now lord we want to be the kind of people the kind of church who holds the line and does not water down the gospel does not call sin good, but at the same time, we want to love people like you have loved them. We want to be compassionate and gracious and merciful like you have been. And above all else, we want them to believe the gospel and leave the life change up to you. God, this morning, if there is anyone in this room who has been hurt by churches, who has been kicked out of churches, who has been shunned at churches or by Christians because of past failures or present failures. Guys, I just want to say to you, you and all your problems are welcome here. Join the club. There is grace aplenty. And if that's you this morning, I would invite you to come and taste of Jesus because he is so good and he is so much better and he loved you so much that he came to this world to be righteous where you couldn't be, where none of us could be. We're all broken. Sin has messed all of us up. So if you're here this morning and there's a little whisper in the deep parts of your heart that says maybe this is the answer I've been looking for. Could it be true? I just invite you to come taste of it. I love to talk with you and just share with you and pray with you and hug you. 
If you're here this morning and maybe you have a family member, a friend who has been burned and hurt by Christians for whatever sin in their life, I just want to invite you to come and just get on your knees before the Lord on these steps right here and just plead with the Lord to to save them despite the foolishness of how Christians behave. God, forgive us for how judgmental we've been and mean we've been, scornful we've been. And enable us, God, to be compassionate and to love and not to feel like we've got to go fix all of the problems, but to love them first. If you're here this morning and that's you, I want you to just come and get on your knees and just pray to the Lord, God, save them, work in their life. I want to pray with these deacons. They'll be up here. They'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. But church, let us be like Abraham, like Jesus, and not like Jonah. Let's be full of compassion and love. Let us look at people and say, you're welcome here. God, move in us right now. Stir us. If you're here this morning and you need to pray, need to talk, if you want to join our church, say, I want to be a part of a church like this, just invite you to come up and let us know that and let us pray with you. We love you in Jesus' name. We pray all as people said. Let's stand together. shadows deepen we do do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through we do do you wish that you could see it all made new all creation groaning it is is a new creation coming it is is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst it is is it good that we remind ourselves of Ah. Uh-huh.
Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of our blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? this morning. I'd love to just meet you real quick. I'm going to be standing in the back. Just come introduce yourself to me. We have a gift for you also. We'd love to give to you. Uh, if you'd like to join our church, I know there's some of you in this room who've been going here a long time. You've never joined because you're terrified to come up here in that time. You don't have to walk up here. Just come see me in the back. And we'll get your form filled out and we'll get that ball rolling. Love to have you join and officially be a part of this. Um, so we'd love to have you do that. Uh, love you guys. We're going to stack chairs, go eat some lunch. Peace be with you.